James chapter 5. You can follow along silently as I read. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the heavens have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Let's pray together. Lord of hosts, we are so amazed by your kindness. We are so amazed by your grace. We're amazed by your mercy. We're amazed that you would look upon us because of the death, burial, and resurrection of your Son, that you would even look upon us as your own children adopted into your family. Lord, we are thankful for the testimony this morning of two who have given their lives to You. How they've been obedient to baptism. Lord, as we look at this text together now, I beg that You would be kind to us. You would be kind to me. That You would hide me in Your Word. That the truth of Your Word would come forth We would understand Your Word today together by the power of the Holy Spirit, and You would help us to apply it to our lives. Lord, we are desperate people, and we desperately want to hear from You this morning. We need to hear from You this morning. And we know that You will do this for Your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, Amen. Go and be seated. Well, we've been working through the book of James together. Last week, we were able to talk about our life being a vapor, and I have to be honest, it was fun shooting the bottle of water at many of you, the mist. We talked about numbering our days so we may have a heart of wisdom. We talked about, instead of, in our pride, just making all these plans without acknowledging the fact, in our humility, that ultimately we can do nothing unless the Lord wills. Unless the Lord wills. So James takes us into this section of Scripture now, feeding off of what we just heard. And we'll have two more sermons in the book of James, Lord willing. And then we'll move to a book of the Old Testament. So let's take this time, let's work through the text together, verse by verse, and see what God has for us this morning. 
James 5, verse 1. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. We've heard James talking in the past throughout the book about the rich. We've heard this. We've heard that there are some Christians who have money, and sometimes we do not act as we should with our money. Sometimes, possibly, rich people come into the church, and there's a temptation to show partiality as they come. Oh, oh, she has deep pockets. I'm going to make sure I go greet her this morning first. That would be wrong. That would be sinful. We don't show partiality in Christ. We're all the same. Doesn't matter your pay grade. Doesn't matter what political party you belong to. Doesn't matter what ethnic background. If you're in Christ, we're the same. But I think what James is doing here is I don't think he's talking to Christians at this point. I think he makes a a change here. Now again, the letter obviously is written to Christians. But what I think he's doing is he is talking to Christians, but he's doing it in a roundabout way. What he wants to do is he's going to talk about those rich people in a way of trying to encourage the Christians. I think that's what he's starting off to do here. He's going to try to encourage us today by the power of the Holy Spirit, encourage us by talking about those rich people. Now it is possible that there are some of those rich people in here today, so make sure that you're listening carefully. But let's see what James is talking about. Come now, you rich, weep. This weep here, you need to get this for a second. It's not just a kind of, kind of down and oh, it's like a, the idea in the Greek there is like a bursting forth, wailing. Oh no, not this. That's the idea that's going here. Okay, I want you to have that in your mind. That's what he's telling these rich people to do. Howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Miseries are coming for these people. Verse 2, Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Now, he's talking about what's going to happen to them, but he's so certain that it's going to, he's talking about it like it's already happened. He's talking about it like it's already happened. These, these things, your riches that you trust in, they're already being destroyed. They're already being destroyed. They're going to have nothing for you. They have rotted. Your gold, verse 3, your gold and your silver have corroded. Some of your translations will say rusted. Does gold rust? Gold doesn't actually rust. So some commentators say, well, this is, he's just kind of saying all material possessions. Or it's possible that he's even going a little further and he's saying, your gold, it even rusts. That's how insignificant your stuff actually is and how much it's going to help you. Either way, what he's making the point here is he's saying, all this stuff that you have, your riches, your garments, your iPhones, your televisions, your three cars, your multiple houses, whatever it is, they're corroding. They're wasting away. And not only are they wasting away, look at the second half of verse 3, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. And will eat your flesh like fire. Here's the thing. What he's saying is there are some people. He is not saying it's a sin to be rich or have money. That's not what he's saying here. What he is saying 
is it is a sin to love your stuff, love money more than you love God and more than you love others. Right? Money's the root of all evil, right? Yeah, yeah, no, no, okay, I got some heads. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's really interesting. I saw this on, it was either a Facebook thing at some point or whatever, where somebody misquoted the verse, money is the root of all evil, and you hypocrites in church, all you ever want is my money. (laughs) Bible doesn't even say that. Bible doesn't even say that that's the case. It's the love of money. That idea that you either love God or you're going to love stuff. And then that stuff becomes your God. And as that stuff becomes your God, that's what you worship. And you'll do anything, including hurt other people, to get more stuff. That's what James is talking about. Now, we've talked before, majority of the Christians around the world, majority of the Christians throughout history, are on the poor end of the scale. Again, there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with having things as long as you don't use people to get more things, but you use the things you have to bless people. We had, again, speaking about Friday, people in this community who had knowledge of how to catch fish, had the means, they had boats, they had nets, they had these different things. They used those things to bless our church and bless this community. And people continually came up Friday. I don't know how many of you heard. Continually said, this is free? This, this is free? Like, okay, but really, what's the catch? Really, what's the catch? This is free, but the, no, what's going on? And, and for people who didn't show up and didn't have some of this delicious food, great time, we're playing games, weather's beautiful. Some of us were talking. I think they were concerned that when they got there, those Baptists were going to dunk them in the water first, and then they could go get their fish sandwich. They missed out. Man, it was a wonderful time. That's an example of you using your stuff to bless people. Not using people to get more stuff. And that's what he's fighting against here. So not only is he saying your stuff, you're trusting in your stuff. You think your money's going to save you. It won't. You think your life insurance policy is what's going to save you or your, your medical insurance or the fact that you have a whole bunch of guns, or you have houses, whatever you think you have, guess what? Ultimately, in the end, the big picture, it will not save you. Not that there's anything wrong with those things individually. They're not going to save you. And these people that he was talking about to encourage the Christians who most of the time don't have all this stuff, he's trying to say, don't want to be like them. Don't do it. Don't, don't sell, your, sell your family, sell your friends, sell everyone out just so you can have more stuff. It's not going to get them anywhere. Oh, but it sure looks nice having those giant houses or whatever. All oh, these great cars. They have four cars. They have a yacht. That'd be great. None of it goes with you after this. None of it. And what he's saying, which is even more interesting, not only is it going to end up not helping them, it will be the evidence against them when they stand before Jesus. In other words, they're on their yacht, they're having a good time, I'm cruising, things are great, and the yacht's going straight to hell. It's not going to get them anywhere. 
They're trusting in it. It's not going to do anything for them. In fact, it's going to stand there. And they're going to stand before Jesus and Jesus and say, what did you do? You're given so much. What did you do? Well, I have my boat in my house in my other house in my other house and in that house in that boat in that car. And he's going to say, yeah, I know. Didn't learn that. Gave it to you. Did you do with it what I wanted you to do with it? Did you open up the houses for people who needed it? Did you, did you let brothers and sisters in the Lord use that? Did you, did you, like Brother Tracy, he takes me out. We go out. He's got this bow. We go out. We're going to try to go catch mullet. Poor Tracy's taking me. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> but we're going to go. And he says, you know what? Come on. Come with me. Four or five hours. You want to know the type of conversations we had for four or five hours? My soul was encouraged. Just being with him. Just spending time. That's what we're talking about. That's why we have stuff. To bless others. To bless the poor. To bless other people. That's the point. And these people are going to stand there with all their junk and Jesus is going to go, you really didn't get it. And in fact, not only did you not use the stuff I gave you to bless people, you cursed people. You did things against them so you could get more of this stuff. And you can, you can take it with you because you obviously don't love Jesus. It can all be burned away in the lake of fire. That's all there is to it. That's what he's saying here. It will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up your treasure, the end of verse 3, in the last days. Jesus constantly reminds us, don't store up that kind of treasure. Don't do it. It's just going to burn away. What's the point of it? Store up the treasure that's going to last. Obeying God, loving others, serving others, leading people to Christ. Don't you want to be in heaven? Think about this. I want to be in heaven and be like, Yes! Share the gospel with that guy and God save that guy. Yes! Praise God, you're here. I'm excited you're here. You! Oh! Man, George and I were out. We, you were hungry. We bought you a sandwich and we told you about Jesus. And through that, you're here. We didn't even know you became a Christian. How did you be? You became a Christian. Yeah, that person over there shared the gospel later and I believed. That's incredible! That's the, that's the conversations I want to have. Not the... I'm here by the grace of God, but I don't really seem to know that many people. I didn't really have any influence in anybody's lives. Now again, don't, don't misunderstand me. There are many times that we have influences in people's lives and we don't know it just by following Jesus and loving people. Okay, But if we're clinging to stuff, and again, although this right here is, I think, talking to those who do not know Jesus and they love their stuff more than Jesus, there's a temptation at times for us who love Jesus to battle with loving stuff. Okay? It's not wrong to have stuff. Don't hear that. It's wrong to love it more than God and others. Real quick, I want to share with you Matthew 19. Matthew 19, starting in verse 16. I'm just going to read this to you. You can follow along. It might be up on the screen. And listen, and behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Wrong question. Wrong question right away. What good deed can you guys do to be saved? There's no good deed you can do 
It's a gift. That's the point. And he said to him, why? Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, keep the commandments? Which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your mother and father. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. (laughs) Yeah, right. He thinks he has. Okay. All these I've kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Listen to this. This is heartbreaking. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In Mark chapter 8, I want to read you what Jesus says, Mark 8. Starting in verse 34. In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, this is Jesus, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Real quick, denying yourself, taking up a cross, following, seem like it's going to be a real easy lifestyle? Probably not. Okay? Definitely not. Verse 35, For whoever would save his life, remember the mist, trying to grab on to life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Check out this. This is incredible. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul. Flip back over to James. Christian, be careful. Be careful with the things of this world. Make sure that your heart is not being drawn too close to the things of this world because it's all going to burn away. The stuff that you have, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying use it as we've just seen testimony of so many of you in this last week of using your stuff to bless others, to get more people into the kingdom. That's the point. And I'm proud of you. Be careful at the same time. So these guys, laying up their treasure in the last days, verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields. They have people who are working for them out mowing the fields, working. Look what he says. Which you kept back by fraud are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Here's what he's saying. There are those who are rich in this world and they're abusing those who are poor, who work for them. A lot of those, again, the poor many times, Christians, they're abusing them so they can get more. Not only are they not taking care of them as they should, they're also taking more of their money. Like They're not even paying them what they should pay them, what they agreed on, which probably isn't enough. Now they're actually going to fraud them and take more. It's incredible. But here's what's interesting. Even the money by fraud that they're taking, that's probably in their pockets, from God's perspective, is crying out against them, testifying against those people. 
This is why I think James is trying to encourage us. Here's what he's saying. Your life on this earth, it may not be what you hoped for. You may be working hard for other people, and you may not, you may not be getting what you deserve. They may be taking from you. Has anyone in here ever had a work situation where you feel like you've been cheated by somebody, the boss or somebody like that? Anybody ever have that? Here's Now, be careful with that. There may be times that you're just wrong. <laughs> but, in many cases, those who are leading like this, those who are rich like this, be encouraged, because look what the verse says. Even the money that they've taken from you is crying out against them to the Lord. Those who have been frauded, who have been defrauded against, frauded against, the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. Let me encourage you with this this morning. God hears you. God hears you. Not just about this scenario, but if you are in Christ, He hears you. He has ears in that sense. He hears you. Not physical ones like I have. We have. But He hears you. When you're praying, when you're crying out to Him, realize He hears you. Don't think... God, why aren't you listening to me? Guess what? He's always listening to you. It's like sometimes with my kids, they're in the house and they're maybe asking a question or whatnot, and they think I don't hear them. And I still respond, and I hear them. Now, I will say this. Where I fall and God never falls, never fails, is sometimes I really don't hear them. Sometimes I'm too, I'm paying attention to something else. Here's the thing. With God knowing everything and being all-powerful, all-knowing, guess what? He knew it before you said it. He hears it. He, he knew it before he created everything because he doesn't learn anything. You're precious to him. He hears you. That phrasing, the Lord of hosts, is important too. It's that idea of, of King Jesus talking about like the robe with the tattoo long hair, the sword coming out of the mouth, destroying people. That Jesus, not the one you see in the Gospels. Talking about the book of Revelation, Jesus. This is the idea of Him going to battle for you against any injustice that's ever happened to you. Any injustice that's hit you as individuals, this church, anything, Jesus will take care of it. You may not see it right now. That's the point of the waiting patiently that's coming. He will take care of it. No matter what's been done to you, He will take care of it. He's your defender, the Lord leading the army. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Talking to the rich again. They're just living it up. Life is so good. Get more, 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 more. They're fattening themselves up for the judgment to come. And they don't even realize it. Here's the hope that we would still go. We would live godly lives in front of them and we'd still share the gospel with them. We desire that all would be saved. But for those who aren't, those who have this injustice, they will be judged one day before Christ. Verse 6, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. What does this mean? Were they actually going around murdering people? Maybe. Some commentators say yes, some say no. But I'll tell you this. 
How many of you have ever worked an hourly wage job? Okay. When you're getting those wages and you're depending on those wages, and if, Mia, if, if I'm your boss and there's not other work you can find right now, and if I'm your boss and I don't pay you like I should, if I start keeping your money, cheating you out of your money, I'm not murdering you per se, but you don't have any food, you don't have money to buy food. In that sense, I think that's what James is saying here. With the mistreating of the people that we just saw, I think he's saying you're murdering these people. The righteous person. Some take verse 6 to talk about Jesus specifically. He's about the the righteous one, that this is talking about him when he had done nothing wrong. Um, When people were speaking out against him, he didn't speak back. Um, Maybe, but I think in context, this is better thought of this is those who are are Christians following Jesus? It doesn't mean we're righteous by our own our own actions, our own works, but right be, being made righteous by Jesus. We've trusted in Him, and He's given us His righteousness, and we're following Him. We're trying to be faithful, and these people are holding Him down. He does not resist you. When you're the worker, the low man on the totem pole, can you really win against the boss? Can you really? Nope. You can't. That's what it means. He doesn't resist you because he can't. And they're treating him this way. So now it's like, okay, what are we doing with this? How does this affect us today? What are we going to do with this passage? Number one, we need to be checking our own hearts. We need to see, are we loving stuff more than people, more than God? Are we loving people, not really loving them, but are we using people to get more stuff? I think that's part of where it's at what we're supposed to look at today. At the same time, realize the Lord of hosts defends you. He will help you. And we need to put our hope in what is coming. Last two verses. Verse 7. Here's how you respond. This is the point. Be patient. Therefore, brothers, be patient. Brothers and sisters, Christians, be patient. I know the world isn't like you would like it to be. I know there are things that are hard. Things are bad at times. Hold on a little longer. I remember in an African village one night, I was out, I think it was the same night, that our strongest believer, the guy who was showing the most potential, beat his wife. I was there. Beat his second wife. He had three but he became a Christian. What do you do with that? I'm like, man, we're making headway. This is the guy. This guy's going to be the leader. And he lost it. And he, was, and he beat his wife, stopped him. I'm, th- I'm laying in the tent. It's about midnight. We're having sickness at the house. Things are just difficult. We're missing family. It's hard where we're at. And I remember thinking, uh, lyrics from a song, and it just says something simple. Christians Hold on a little longer. Just hold on. He's coming back. He's faithful. Hold on a little longer. Keep fighting for good. I know the world is out there. Keep fighting for good. Keep loving. Keep serving. People are coming to faith. We're seeing people baptized. Keep fighting for good. Be patient until the coming of our Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, 
being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. Any of you done any farming, you know those first rains come, you don't want to go harvest yet. It's not ready. It was the same in that part of the world, same where we were in Mali. When the rains would come, there were the mango rains. They would come. If you went too early, the crops would be ruined. You had to be patient for the late rains to come. That's what he's saying here. Be patient. Wait for the Lord. Continually trust in Him. You also be patient. Last verse, guys. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. What does that mean? Continually put your faith in Jesus and in His Word. And we do that together. That's not something you do off on your own. We do that together. We look at His Word together. We sit under the Word together. We talk about the Word together. We establish our hearts because we put our hope in the only one who's worthy. Jesus. Put your hope there. Be patient. He's coming back. And no matter what, what happens, we can continually trust that He is going to be faithful. Real quick, I want to end with this little analogy. Part of establishing our hearts. Let me ask you this question real quick. Do you actually care if Jesus is going to come back? Do you actually care? Yes, yeah, we, yeah. How many, how many of you, I love Jesus. Let me hear, let me see, who loves Jesus in here? A lot of Jesus lovers. Okay. George, you love Alice. Do you love Alice? Yeah, of course, he loves Alice. What if I told you, George never talked about Alice. If, you're, if you go, if you visit him, if you're with him, he never talks about her. Doesn't say a word about her. Number one. What if George never even talked to Alice? Right? They're married, but he never talks to her. What if you start asking George questions about Alice? When's her birthday? Where was she born? What does she like? What's her favorite food? What if he couldn't answer any of those questions? You starting to wonder? You starting to wonder a little bit? I'm not sure if you love her. What if he never listened to her when, he, when she spoke to him? Never listened. Couldn't tell you anything she said in the last five years. You starting to wonder if he loves her? Didn't spend any time with her? Unless maybe he wanted something. Didn't spend any money on her? Let me ask you this question. Is our relationship with God much different? Do you talk about Him? Oh, I love Him! He's my guy. Jesus. Don't ever talk about Him. Do you ever talk to Him? You know what that's called? Prayer. Do you know anything about Him? How do we learn about God? How about uh, never listening to Him when He speaks? How does He speak? Through His Word, through the Holy Spirit inside of us. <coughs> Didn't spend any time with Him unless you wanted something. <coughs> Don't use your money, your gifts, to further His kingdom. Do you see the parallel there? So my question would be with this. We say we love Him. We say we want Him to come back. The whole point of this passage is the way you endure this life is establishing your hearts in God and His Word and the fact that He's coming, that you love Him, and that you're hoping in His return. But do you actually love Him? That's what we need to think about today. Part 
of how we establish our hearts is God has given us two ordinances to help us do that as a body. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it wasn't originally planned to do this on the same day, but we're going to do it. So, time of invitation. I want you to respond right now. I'm going to pray. You can respond in your hearts. Figure out, one, are you the the rich person who's trusting in that and you've not trusted in God? Today's the day to trust in God. Or are you a believer, but the things of this world, you're starting to really see your heart go in that direction. Come back. Three, as we're talking about those questions about do you really love God? Are there some areas that you need to work on? Take this time during invitation to respond however the Holy Spirit may be leading you. Let's pray. As soon as we're done praying and the invitation, we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Father, we love you. We thank you for the fact that we can be together today. We thank you for your word. We're thankful that whether we have the best in this life, Lord, whether or not we have a lot or a little, the fact of the matter is, this isn't the end. Lord, we're thankful for the life of Billy Graham and how he said that heaven's his home. He's just passing through. Lord, that needs to be our heart. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now. I pray that they would respond the way you'd have them respond in their hearts. I pray if there's anyone in here who does not know you, that they would make this the day that they profess faith in you and say you're the most important thing. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.